At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, January the 28th, 2024. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Strobel. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. You get me on X, Talking Mets No G, and you get me on your favorite podcasting service, Spotify, Apple, whatever you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Don't forget the newsletter. You can get me throughout the week, substack.com slash at TalkingMetsNoG. And of course, I want to welcome the good folks from the Fan Sided Podcasting Network for hosting this show. Welcome to another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast as we get closer and closer to pitchers and catchers as the hot stove, which has never really seemed to get off the mat, is coming to an end while there's, what, 20 of the top 50 free agents still out there. It'd be very interesting there are going to be some guys that, I mean, there are got to be guys calling their agents and saying, what is up? I have to think things are going to be opening up over the next week. I wonder if next week, this week that's coming, is going to be a big week for some of these guys. But David Stearns talked about it being opportunistic. Uh, it doesn't seem like that's really happened. And you saw that. And, you know, today, the theme of the show is the pitching lab. And we'll talk a little bit about pitching lab, but more so than just that. It's going to be about what names we should start really looking for. And I think you know some of them, but joining us in just a little bit, Ernest Dove, our friend Ernie Dove, resident, I call him our prospect guru, prospect hugger. You can get him on X at Ernest Dove, sportswireradio.org, has his own YouTube channel, Ernest Dove, uh, at Ernest Dove on YouTube. You heard coming in the clip with him talking to Mike Vazel, Mike Vazel talking about the pitching lab. This show is is headline the pitching lab but it's so much more than that as we're going to get into a bunch of stuff but before i get to ernie just to kind of set it up here i think you know we've been talking about this for a while and i think we have to kind of accept where the mets are going it may not sit well i know it doesn't sit well with a lot of you and i'm a little disappointed you know when you see guys like chapman and robertson sign for about 10 11 million bucks and you go back to some of the things, if you're a subscriber to Beyond the Mic, talking about Beyond the Mic, how I advocated for a Super bullpen. And I even mentioned it on the show about how, you know, maybe the Mets could go and get, you know, a couple of closers on one-year deals, you know, elite closers, and and win that way with a starting rotation that may not be uh, as long as you think or can go deeper into the game as you think. You might have to win more bats in bullpen. But it really seems like the Mets are sticking to their plan. And David Stearns talked about it. We talked about it the last couple of weeks, and you know he said it. He said it when he was with Andy Martino down in the Dominican that the New York fan has to get comfortable basically uh, allowing some of their young players, some of their homegrown talent to develop. That doesn't mean you go out and have a youth movement and you know you don't sign anybody and you trash it down for five years. He's not saying that, but there are certain parts of this team he's very comfortable, like the bullpen, like the DH spot like starters four, five, six, seven, eight, where he's like, hey, you know, it would be nice to sign a veteran, a Frankie Montas or somebody that potentially has upside and is coming off an injury. But those prices are not where we want to be. You know, Cohen is willing to invest the $300 million payroll, but if he's going to go above and he's probably looking at the numbers, going to have to go above and get taxed, he wants it to be for the right guy. For Yamamoto, great. Doesn't sound like Montgomery is the guy they believe can, that that, that that's the case. J.D. Martinez, Justin Turner, Jorge Soler. Looks like they want those prices to come way down. I don't know where they are now. It's probably from a standpoint of they don't want it to be multi-year. But if there's one player that's a synopsis of where we're going into in 2024, and I'm probably going to write 
about him a little bit more on Beyond the Mic this week. So I'll give you a little tease on that. It's Mark Vientos, somebody that we're, we've been talking about him on and off for years. He's one of these prospects that has never been uh, totally exciting to the media. He's never really gotten a lot of love from the prospect huggers. Even the Mets organization seems to be at arm's length at times. That's just a perception. That's an outside perception. And we'll bring him up to Ernie Dub when Ernie comes on. But Vientos is a guy that has great power, has hit 300 in the minor leagues, has about an 850 career OPS plus, uh, excuse me, OPS in the minor leagues, uh, has succeeded every level, really has nothing left to prove at AAA. We don't know if he's 4A yet. He looks 4A from some of his early performances, a cup of coffee uh, down the stretch in 2022, got brought up in the spring when the Mets weren't playing well in May, had a big home run off the, t- off the Rays, his first game to tie the ball game, that dramatic comeback that Pete hit the walk-off home run, did not hit consistently despite some impressive home runs, doesn't really have a position. You know, There's been some reports of him working with Lindor on his defense this offseason to make him a little bit more valuable, not just the DH. That's smart. But listening to some of Andy Martino's reporting, you know, we're all pining for a DH. Can't the Mets just get Justin Turner or Jorge Soler or, or in a, in a perfect world, J.D. Martinez, an elite bat. And right now, it seems like the Mets are concerned as much about, hey, do we need to spend this money? It's not that they don't have it. Do we need it? It's like the equivalent of you and I just trimming the fat. You know what the Mets are doing? The Mets are looking at their credit card statement. And they're like, I could afford all these Uber Eats. I could afford these DoorDashes. I could afford dining out three times a month. But do I really want to? Is it good for my waistline? Is it right? Is it worth the money? Can I take this money and reinvest somewhere else? Is it the best spend of my capital? Can I do less of this? And I know that's corny, but I really believe it's the best synopsis uh, of where they're at right now. They're not saying they won't do any of this stuff. They're not saying they won't spend. Right now, they're questioning whether that spend is worth it for what's out there. And Mark Vientos, and recently, and I think our friend Joe DeMeo at PSL to Flushing, sent this out over on X, the steamer projections. So steamer is a projection system. And they had the projections for Soler, J.D. Martinez, Justin Turner, Mark Vientos. And Mark Vientos, in just a little under 400 at-bats, projected very well versus those three established veterans, one of which Martinez has been an all-star and has been an elite run creator throughout his career and been in the middle of really good lineups, including contributing to a, a, a Dodgers lineup last year. And you look at someone like Vientos, who's projected to have a 450 slugging percentage, 100, 108 uh, uh, RC, WRC plus, so his runs creation is a, above league average. That's better than Justin Turner. That's projected to be better than J.D. Martinez. I question that. They're, they're factoring in some significant decline for J.D. Martinez. And it's a little bit a shade below what they expect from Jorge Soler. And you figure, okay, well, it's only under 400 at-bats. What about the rest? Well, they're looking at maybe rotating that spot for some veterans that need rest, a la Marte, you know, maybe DJ Stewart gets some bat at bats. He gets a really tough righty where, you know, you spot him in, you know, how Carlos Mendoza in the front office with the analytics puts players in the best possible spot to be successful will be interesting. And, you know, Martino basically said this morning, if you follow him on X, the Mets want to see what they have here. And that's exactly a synopsis. I think of what they're going to do this year, especially through the first at least half the season. What do we have here? I know we've talked about it over and over and over again, but I'm just like you. I go back into those old habits and I say, J.D. Martinez is out there. Man, he would look good right behind Pete Alonso in this lineup. And, and you know, when you have, you're in that, and a lot of projections have that Mets in the 84-85 range, so you're in that muck. Right now, the Mets are projected to be in the wild card muck, which means they could swing one way and establish themselves as a solid playoff team or swing the opposite way and be below and be in baseball purgatory, which is high 70s, which is where they were two out of the last three years. So, you know, when you are you have that temptation, but you ha- the real thing that David Stearns has shown so far is to block out the noise and the peripheral noise. That's what a good leader does. He tries to block out the peripheral noise, stay focused on his belief system and his plan. Now, if it's not working or they're showing promise and someone like a Vientos is not, you know, cutting the mustard, will they cut their losses? Will they go in season and try to upgrade? I think they will. I don't think he's stubborn and going to shove a square peg in a round hole. We don't know him enough to see what that's all about. 
you know, obviously coming from Milwaukee, he was very good at finding value. He also was, uh, you know, leading that Josh Hader trade, which was a value trade. Let me trade Hader. He's a closer. Anybody can close and get back some, you know, value for him before he gets to the latter part of his contract and you can't get as much for him, you know, make it San Diego's problem. And that didn't work out. Milwaukee missed the playoffs. Sometimes that's a case of being too clever by half. I don't think Stern's being too clever by half right now. We got to continue to go and really listen. And I know it's boring probably to you by now because we're repeating ourselves. We're at that point of the off season where it's content is harder. Um, But the more this crystallizes, the more you can see that they are fully committed to seeing what they have in this organization and to filling out parts of their roster with homegrown cost-effective players. And then if they don't work out, they move on. In a lot of ways, again, going to the NBA and the Knicks, I love the Knicks. The Knicks did this with some of their young players over their first two or three years, competed with them when they knew they hit their ceiling and they need to upgrade the roster and they knew what they had. And it's a different sport with a salary cap, I understand. They shipped them out and they brought in the the piece, uh, like Ananobi that they just brought in from Toronto for the kids that they had drafted and procured and what have you. So maybe not the exact best analogy, but you're kind of where you are right now here with this Mets team. And I know this makes you uncomfortable and it makes me uncomfortable. And I know it stinks, especially when you see what the Yankees are doing. And God help if the Yankees sign Blake Snell to a value deal. The, the, the tantrums being thrown around here are going to go over the roof. And anytime one of these veterans I just mentioned, Turner or J.D. Martinez or Solaire, sign for something that people think is reasonable, like Chapman did, like Robertson did, you're going to feel, oh, why can't the Mets do that? We also don't know. Because the Mets are in this wait and see, let's see what we have phase of their organization, at least for a little bit. You don't know if these veterans want to come here on shorter deals. If you're not going to get paid what you believe you're worth, you're probably going to go to a situation that may be better from a standpoint of your family in terms of geography or a situation that's better for you in terms of winning, which is probably what a Robertson did, you know, to be quite honest, just not knowing it, but, you know, hearing that he wasn't really happy in Miami, didn't want to be traded midseason, maybe saying, you know, in Texas, I have a less likely chance of being traded midseason. You know, maybe you wanted a no trade clause. We don't know the details of the contract. So we'll see. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Ernest Dove, our resident prospect hugger, we love him because he lo- he gets into the nitty gritty. He gets under the hood with prospects in a way that I can. I'm just looking at box scores. I'm hearing what scouts say. I'm watching videos. Ernie's talking to the sources. He's going to talk about the pitching lab. I'm going to ask him, look, we all know, we all hear about Christian Scott. I wrote about Christian Scott over Beyond the Mic. You know, what else is down there? What about the bullpen? Adam Adovino signs, and you could argue that Adam Adovino is really not all that much different than Hector Neris or some of the up and down of Orion Stanek, like I said. So are there arms that we're not talking about that could probably produce in the same way that those free agent arms that are making $10 million a year uh, would produce? We'll find out about that. Obviously, the starting rotation. And I'll ask about Vientos. Is he comfortable going into the season with Vientos as a key part of the offense, getting a chance to be the everyday DH, at least getting 400 at-bats. What does he think about that? Are there players that we're not talking about? And we'll probably touch on a little bit of this international age issue that seems to have affected the Mets. We'll touch on that on the way out. But what's this pitching lab? We keep hearing about it. It's like the Wizard of Oz. Are they throwing guys in an MRI too? Are they coming out? Nolan Ryan? I don't know. We'll talk about that and more. We'll find out right after this. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. As buying some talk about the off-season training, I talked about it uh, when I had David Griffin on the show, so I have to talk about 
to the almighty, brand new, oh my God, the Mets have it now, the pitching lab. So uh, I wanted to now get your thoughts and your experiences or your first taste of the uh, the brand new pitching lab in the Mets organization. Yeah, so I mean, um, first, first reaction walking in, um, I remember just kind of being like, whoa, like, what is this? Like, what? Because I'd never, I'd never done a lot before. Um, I'd never really gotten like that high of data or feedback on anything. And so you walk in and, you know, what they do is they put all these sensors all over your body um, and they start just tracking. So you warm up, get ready. Um, and then you start doing all these different tests. You do tests with force plates and how much force you're exerting into the ground. And then you um, kind of go from there uh, to you start to throw. And once you throw, you get up on the mound. Um, and I threw probably about a 15 to 20 pitch bullpen. Um, and it was, you know, end of the year. So a lot of guys were tired. If a guy typically is throwing 95, might've been throwing 90, but the guys were trying to move at full speed and, and get feedback. And um, one of the things that, that I really liked that came from that lab is, um, you know, I've always been trying to work on my lower half. Was, uh, the, the moment I got drafted, um, you know, how do we create a more efficient moving lower half to where, you know, maybe it doesn't mean that I'm going to go from 95 to now sitting 100, but it might mean that I could average 95 much easier um, and hold it longer in outings, hold it longer throughout the season. And how can we, you know, take stress off your arm and ultimately put it on other areas of your body. And that's one of the things that came from that lab that designed for my throwing program, designed for my um, plyo work, so my weighted ball throwing and training, um, and also designed for my weight room like work and, and strength work. And you know, a lot of it is hip stability, um, single leg strength, um, you know, uh, mixed with flexibility, and and mobility throughout my hips and i think that was really really cool for me because i think i've been able to make strides now of knowing what i need to do mechanically but not knowing how to piece it together and then now once i have this info and and you know communicating with the mets and um one of the big guys has been kyle rogers and communicating with him about like okay how do i and quite literally his job titles integration pitching coach and he's helping me integrate this stuff into my drill work um, and, you know, about how do I, how do I now put it in? And I think it's been huge. I think it's been awesome. Um, you know, I'd love to be able to get back in to see, you know, how have I improved or what could I, you know, tinker with? Um, it was just a really, really cool experience. And I think it's going to be huge. I think it's going to be, especially the people working as well, knowing what they do about, you know, biomechanics and everything. I think it's going to be one of the things that helps to continue to separate Mets player development, especially pitching development, um, you know, from, from other orgs, but also necessarily do it, do it our own way, you know, do it the, the Met way. So, um, yeah, it was a very, very cool experience. We're back and joining me, you guys know him. Uh, it's not been that long. We, uh, spoke to him, uh, late in the year after the Mets sell-off and, uh, who would have known that, Ernest Dove would have been a big part of the 2024 Mets as uh, all these years covering prospects. And now the Mets are going with the kids to a certain degree. You guys know you can check out uh, Ernie over at, at Ernest Dove on Twitter, sportswireradio.org. Has his own YouTube channel, which you can go, well, it's really X at, at Ernest Dove. And, and, and Ernie, how you doing, man? Pleasure to have you on. And, uh, who would have thought that 2024 is a year of, of you all these years covering prospects. And now the Mets seem to be committed to doing just not much the dabbling into it, but really going all in on trying to see what they have in this organization. I know, right. I'm living the dream right now. It, actually, I'm, I'm actually the weird person going against my own MO. I, I've been waiting for certain prospects to get traded this particular off season and it looks like no, man. We're we're going full on Dove prospect hugger. Uh, we're not trading anyone, darn it. And that it seems like it's the theme throughout the off season where they're they're going to hug these prospects, so they're not going anywhere. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, David Stern said that, and it was a quote I thought of you when he was talking to Andy Martino just a couple of weeks ago. I think he was down in the Dominican for their graduation class. But uh, he said, you know, in New York, you can develop players and you have to be comfortable doing that. And, you know, it's funny because, and maybe we're just taking a social media approach, but if it's on social media, you got to think about on traditional outlets like talk radio, it would be worse. Here it is. Everybody wants, oh, baby, Mets, Vientos, Beatty, uh, Alvarez. And the offseason comes. And, you know, I haven't been a big fan of all three of those guys. But the offseason comes and they clamored for these kids and they were angry as Buck Showalter in their eyes didn't play them enough. And the minute that there is a chance to go and sign somebody and it doesn't happen, it's like, well, why are the Mets not doing anything? Well, at some point, there's only so many at-bats. You want to know what these kids are going to do. Like, I don't think there's anything left for Vientos to do at AAA. I don't know if he's a big leaguer, but I don't think he has anything to prove at AAA. Beatty, I could debate that a little bit on certain parts of his game. Uh, you know, and there's you could go on and on and on with bullpen arms. Those are the ones that are less overt. But it's interesting, the fan reaction here, after they clamored for kids, they get what they want, and now they're, well, I'm not happy. Well, I mean, well, yeah, obviously, you know, welcome to Mets Twitter. It's just... This is how it goes. We've all been uh, a lot of us loyalists who've been on this thing for years uh, with X or whatever. But either way, we can forever call it Mets Twitter. But yeah, like you said, baby Mets, baby Mets, why aren't you playing? All the other teams are the mighty Braves. Every guy they bring up, they're trying to they're trying everyone. And then the Mets bring people up. The guy goes like one for eight and the entire fan base calls him an absolute bust trash useless Alvarez awful stuck when he got called up the previous year for a little bit uh even Senga oh this guy's a bust what a wasted signing for like three weeks when he got like while he was still adjusting until he became pretty much an ace and almost an MVP candidate or Cy Young I mean it kind of goes with the territory of Mets Twitter and I'm usually the uh, taking the wrath of it depending on who I hype up during the year and then I try to pat myself on the back when certain guys work out over the years, like a McNeil. or, And then it's just like, all right, well, what about the ones you failed on? But uh, uh, you know what? As the story goes in my life over the years. I, I always talk about the first you know, third of the season being this getting to know you phase. You're getting to know a team. You're getting to know what they have, what they need. Are they a contender? You know, what what's the overall makeup? You know, there's a feel of every team every season. This year, I think you're getting to know an organization. And I know people are going to be like, well, what do you mean? Well, you know, a lot of these kids were imported, at least on the top, you know, 10 late last year on trades, had a little bit of time. Uh, you have a new regime here with Stearns. I know there's some holdovers in the front office, but it's his show now. Uh, you don't know exactly. They look like a low 80s team with the floor right now that if things start to look positive, They'll invest midseason. I'm okay with that. You know, that's the way you kind of do this, I guess you would call, you know, rebuild without rebuilding that they have been avoiding for quite some time. But you're truly getting to know an organization, Ernie. And I want to get to the pitching lab and everything, but really from an organization standpoint, one of the more exciting things is that this truly is as much of a blank slate as you're going to have with the star power and holdovers that are here. You usually don't get that opportunity because it's usually – a raise and rebuild when it's uh, in that scenario. Well, yeah, I mean, I, just there's so much about all oh, rebuild, rebuild, reset. But me, I just I think it was explained from the last deadline. Uh, it's not really a hidden secret that the Mets have, are just absolutely eating over fifty million dollars in the 2024 season, paying over fifty mil to three guys who aren't even playing on the team this year. So it, you know, oh, you know, Conwin's rich. We we get it. He's rich. He's not going to have a billion dollar payroll. So. This is kind of a weird transition year, but yeah, when you have guys like Lindor, Nimmo, Alonzo in his kind of uh, walk season where usually you use when you're going to be your best, you have Diaz coming back, you have Senga who might be a Cy Young candidate. When you have those guys, you can't just be like, yeah, pure rebuild because it's kind of too late now. And I think that's why they kind of went with the short-term solutions best that they could getting Max and Verlander, just trying to go for it for a one or two year window before everything starts over. But yeah, as far as overall player development, you got to understand the issues here. Like, Oh, the Mets don't develop players. 
maybe part of the reason why is because they have a new regime every year for the, like the last three, four years. What, five, five heads of player development in five years. That's way too much. Jared Banner actually was one of them. I think he just got a, a promotion with the Cubs. So, uh, you know, other guys seem to value what the Mets have, but other teams, but yeah. um, there's been no consistency. Well, I mean, that's, you need something. And I'm not saying it's the be all end all, but there've been some times last year, I would ask some of my sources in the Mets organization about this guy, this guy, that guy. And then some guy went on an absolute, just some guy had like a cesspitous run last year in the minors. And I started asking the coaches about it. And one of them was just like, well, it probably helps. He's had, he's actually had the same hitting coach for like going into a second year. Like even just having his familiar coach is kind of helpful. And my understanding talking to some higher ups uh, in the Mets organization, you know, here we are again, but, this is the plan. Stearns is the guy. I don't know what people think on Mets Twitter, obviously, uh, but Steve Cohen is a hands-off kind of guy. I don't know if people refuse to believe this, but he's paying his staff to do their job. Yep. So it's going to be Stearns' thing, but here we go again. He's going to get his own guys, his own this, his own player development. Over the years, I've heard about things of everything. When you change coaches, you change certain scouts, you change certain player development, you change certain uh, – some of the guys, the trainers. So even all the way down to nutritional and training, even that's different. And they may have a different outlook. So when you do that every year, especially for pitchers, when everyone's worried about the, you know, the arm issues anyway, and now you have all these different philosophies and interpretations every year, this stuff ain't easy. And I don't know if it's glass half full at this point with me, but Stearns is the guy. He's setting it all up to be his team. And it, it wasn't going to happen in like three months. I'm sorry. I mean, is no easy pass lane. Ernest Dove uh, at Ernest Dove on Twitter, uh, Mets prospect guru. Great information, really diving into how player development works. Last time we were on, one of the better segments we've had in quite some time. And uh, yeah, it is Stearns' organization. And you pointed out, you know, kind of goes into developing players is more than just looking at baseball reference and strikeout rate and offensive stats and OPS. Now coming in, I played a clip that you had, uh, you know, you had uh, done an interview uh, with Mike Vazel and he talked a little bit about his first reaction in the clip to the, this pitching lab, which I know where this is going. Pitching lab is going to become this narrative this mystical thing in the media. It's going to be like the Wizard of Oz. It's like you go into an MRI machine and 45 minutes later, you come out a brand new person. That's what this is going. I know it. I see it. And every player they get, and there's been a lot of scrap heap guys that we've talked about over at, you know, my Beyond the Mic. I've written about them, you know, Max Kranich and, and you know, Austin Adams and all guys you bring in and say, you know, maybe the pitching lab will help them. I think Basil actually pointed out in that clip, and I'll let you expand upon it. It's not a mystical thing. It's not just something that's going to help you pump another five miles per hour on your fastball. It's looking at different aspects of your mechanics, your body. And from what my I take away, it's trying to balance them out to maximize what their body is and how to maximize their mechanics. Now, I don't know if this is revolutionary. I'm sure Houston that's done a good job developing players has it. Maybe the Yankees have something like that. I'm sure the Dodgers have something like that. I'm sure teams up and down the league have something. We've heard that this was very expensive and innovative. I'm not so sure. So you talk to Vasil. You talk to people. Uh, the fans have heard about this pitching lab, this Wizard of Oz pitching lab. Let's hear it from the horse's mouth. What do you think about it? I know even I've been making some of the jokes. Uh, interviewing Mike Vassell. I also interviewed David Griffin. Uh, earlier in the off season, because he also attended the uh, the lab, and yeah, I, I mean, I do make light of it, but like you said, I I don't want people to think of it, or I don't know if it's one of those drive line things, and everyone wants to think of the pitching lab as like, oh no, that's that thing where you throw your arm out to try to throw ninety eight. That's not what's happening. That's not the point of this lab that I'm aware of. And Mike Vassell, I, dude, is like maybe he'll be a coach after he's done in his major league career, but he he was like extremely eloquent and discussing about some of the things of the camp it's also about education like they say anyway about analytics these days well it's about the info and interpreting it so now the Mets are finally taking the extra steps forward in the pitching lab because again it's not just throw harder it's yeah literally evaluating your entire body movement through the delivery and if there's ways to fix some of the mechanics 
some of the pitchers are hopeful and the staff are hopeful. It's going to improve uh, mechanics, obviously, but also trying to improve command, uh, maybe certain spin rates or how to get a different spin rate. And my understanding is from the camp, they're even developing certain training methods and certain off-season planning based on the lab. So it's not just like, enjoy the lab. We're going to take some photos and we'll, it's also about other things that go into player development following the lab. And I know certain guys through the winter, they're changing a certain pitch. They're alternating stuff. I know on my social media, I've been talking about the whole sweeper thing. I think the Mets are into this craze as well. So they're even teaching different guys, righties and lefties are learning the sweeper slider. And I know there's some things about the splitter right now. They just, uh, I think Puma just had an article about McGill. I know other guys are working on the splitter. One of my favorite relievers going into minor leagues for this next season, Paul Gervais. He's been working on a splitter. Uh, it's one of those things everyone's talking about, uh, but it is more about the actual development, the information, seeing if it leads to better mechanics, better command. Vassal mentioned something specifically in his lower body throughout his delivery. So that's more of the things. It's not just like, I'm going to throw 100 because I went to a lab and now we're going to win a World Series. That's not going to happen. No, absolutely. Ernest Dove, at Ernest Dove on Twitter, our uh, resident Mets prospect expert. And, you know, you mentioned Vasil, you mentioned some of these names like Gervaisi and, and, you know, one of the things that really the fans have to be comfortable being uncomfortable with, specifically with the bullpen, but at some point, even with the starting rotation is you're going to have to give guys a chance to show what they are. And I was an advocate, you know, thinking that the Mets were going to probably, Cohen was like, hey, I don't want to risk any probabilistic outcome. We'll We'll blow north of $300 million. We'll continue to develop. And I advocated things like signing a super bullpen with Robertson and, and Roldis Chapman. And who knows if they even want to come here and set up Edwin Diaz. We don't know. Um, you know, obviously going out, maybe signing a Seth Lugo, Jordan Montgomery. I mean, when you start to look at what the Mets passed on, not the end of the world, things that potentially could be replicated elsewhere. And, you know, Dodgers and Astros all the time are finding arms out of the blue and turn him into elite bullpen arms. So, you know, I think you mentioned some names. Uh, you know, we've heard some of the more popular names from the rotation, the Christian Stagats and so on and so forth. But mm-hmm. what are some names going into spring that you're looking at that could have a specific impact, whether it be in the bullpen or the rotation uh, with the 2024 Mets and help them win and compete for a playoff spot? I mean, that's the thing last year, Around this time, I think I was already hyping it. I'm like, this is the year of the pitchers, everybody. And I feel like I was right. It, 2023 became the year of the pitchers, except for Jet Williams, who was on his own planet for sometimes bat-wise. But it was the year of the pitcher, in my opinion. And now what's happening is going into 2024, the Mets, I've been saying this ad nauseum on social media, but they have about seven to eight pitchers that are kind of high-quality that are all going to be in double A, triple A. There's nowhere else to go. So now the question is, like you said, now you have player development. Now you have other teams have done it, but I swear the Mets don't do it. Maybe randomly with certain guys, like maybe a Lugo finally, but the Mets don't always transition arms to the pen when they're kind of highly regarded. It seems like it never, ever happens. Versions of a McGill, Peterson at Finally, in multiple years in major leagues, they kind of do a an, an attempt in the pen, maybe with Buto. Uh, but I'm thinking, could this finally be the year that the Mets start transitioning certain guys? Because in my opinion, they just kind of have too many already now. So they're going to go into 2024 with all kind of names. You see, we got Hamill, Christian Scott, Blade Tidwell, Mike Vassell, uh, Tyler Stewart. I can go further. There's a Jordani Ventura who's kind of like a command issue, it, it'll drive you crazy. I'm trying to like compare him to like a familia if you want to change him to the pen. And there's also a Yoander Suarez, who was absolutely dominant at, at times last year. And I think more people need to start talking about Yoander Suarez, even above the, the top five that everybody mentions. But again, they're all double AA, A, triple A. And they're not all going to be in the Syracuse rotation together. They're not going to have like an eight-man rotation. I'm not even talking about guys like a Brandon Sprout who's just getting started, but he's like a senior sign. He could show up in double A by the end of the year. Everyone's going to be crowded. And if you're not trading them again, prospect hugging Mets are not letting go of anyone. If you don't trade anyone, what are you doing with seven, eight, nine 
mid to back end ceiling rotation arms just sitting there in AAA together. Well, you you need five to get through a season, but yeah. that doesn't mean they're going to sit AAA forever either. Yeah, you only get a couple of years out of that, and then they you know obviously if they're in the organization six years, it's like hey, blank get off the pot at that point, you know. And yeah. I think well, and I think this is so valuable, Ernie, because look at where pitching has gone, and I've said this over and over and over the last couple of weeks. And a lot as this offseason has transpired, every good pitcher is going to make $25 million a year. Every, you know, Jose Quintana, uh, Severino, Manaya, who's uh, all question marks, maybe not so much Quintana, the other two, 13, yeah. 14, 15. Frankie Montas coming off a shoulder injury, serious shoulder injury, $16 million a year. That's the kind of production where at those guys and their points in their career that maybe a Mike Vazel could give. Maybe a, a Stewart could give Christian uh-huh. Scott. What's funny is, and I tell this to people all the time, and I've been hearing this going back to when prospect talk really became big, you know, mid 2000s, every top pitching prospect, you know, when I hear, and I've talked to scouts myself, well, Christian Scott is good. Uh, I'm not so sure about his secondary pitches. He looks like he's a guy that's going to wind up in a bullpen. I heard that about Matt Harvey. I heard that about Zach, uh, sometimes Zach Wheeler. I heard that about Noah Syndergaard. I heard that about Jacob deGrom. You remember that? They all were going to wind up in the bullpen, and DeGrom actually came up as a reliever, never relieved, because he got lucky and there was a, a an injury. He was in the rotation. So, um, you know, you look at all this, and uh, it, it really is the same conversation over and over and over again. Wow. And, uh, you know, it's a time where you really need these guys to start to matriculate into the back half of the rotation, even with Cohen. Even with a three hundred million dollar payroll, even if the payroll tax goes up another fifty million, doubtful until the next uh, b- collective bargaining, they'll find a reason to keep it at three hundred. Yeah. Uh, you need to have guys produce six innings, two three runs back in the rotation starter for a couple million bucks a year because other teams do, and they do it. They they do kind of have it. I mean, yeah, we could talk about all the question marks all day, but you see around the league. Question marks or healthy guys with five ERAs are getting 12 mil. So it this is the market that they're in right now. So if the Mets want to go the route of using their new analytics, using their new lab, using Stearns as expertise, picking out guys like Severino and Manaya, if, if they feel it could work, maybe it could work for one year. But yeah, it has to be about player development, though, obviously at this point. But again, the Mets are the same organization that have had guys like, you know, Nimmo and Alonzo. As far as player development, they seem to be doing okay. It just, you know, it, you have to pick and choose, you know, who you want to develop. But this is going to be the year of the arms, and someone has to succeed. I, and I, but also, you have to remember too, when it comes to scouting and drafts, there's always a story. And I know, I've known some stories. Guys like Tyler Stewart, Christian Scott. Okay, they were coming out of a bullpen in college, but we, not everyone knows some of the stories that can go behind those things. So. Just because they were something in college as an amateur doesn't mean they have to be that way, obviously, in the the pros and in the majors. A lot can go right or wrong, even from college. And maybe some guys, I'm thankful they didn't burn their arms out not having to start uh, in some college. And and college coaches will burn their arms out. They don't care. They will do it to win. That's why even I'm I'm excited about some of these guys. But And I know sometimes, well, they only have one pitch, two pitch, three pitches, but the more I talk to certain coaches and certain pitching coaches and scouts, like anything, there's a game plan. I'm not, there's no, you can't compare anyone to DeGrom, but DeGrom will go out there and throw two pitches and just that's the end of the game. So even in the minor leagues, there are certain arms, every inning, every at bat, they tell them what to pitch. Like they're not out there to throw five pitches to practice. It sometimes is a game plan. Obviously that's, that's the point of player development. And if a guy's throwing two pitches for like four innings straight, sometimes they'll throw literally one pitch for an entire inning just to work on it. It's kind of how that goes in the minors behind the scenes, which is also why you have to be careful with the scouting the box scores because you have guys just practicing. You have guys like in St. Lucie, you hit the ball down the right field line. There's only two umps. If there's no guy at there at first, if he's standing on third, it's up to the ump to just say fair or foul. I mean, weird things happen in the minors that affects box scores all the time. Yeah. And Basil's an interesting guy that you talk to because he's one of the more advanced. He's at triple a uh-huh. got a little bit of time in spring training because of the WBC last year, uh, described as a bulldog from what I've read, maybe not 
you know, necessarily the most talented of the group. I don't know. I don't watch him pitch. Sometimes I, uh, listening to what people say about him, he reminds me of Dylan G, not because of anything more than that bulldog and maybe that guy in the minors that nobody's talking about that all of a sudden shows up. And if he had not gotten hurt, Dylan G would have been a really good back end of the rotation pitcher. Huh. But, um, you know, what are your thoughts on Basil? Is he the first to maybe get a shot, assuming that there might be some injuries? You know, there's going to be a need. Right now, they got six. There's going to be a need for seven, eight, nine at some point, doubleheader, injury, whatever. Uh, is Vazel the first guy to get a start in the rotation? Who who do you see as the pecking order with these guys if you had to make a, a prediction here? I mean, it would seem like the easiest kind of gamble ticket to go on would be Mike Vassell because obviously at least he has pitched a little bit in AAA. And when I mean and who does a he profile bit, based on your opinion? What do you think? What you know, maybe just to give the fans someone they know, is there a is there a fair comparison of what Mike Vassell could be as a big leaguer? Is Dylan I mean, G appropriate? You know, is that kind of where it is or am, am I being a little low? I would like to think it's a little bit higher than that. Because that's the thing. Okay, well I can name seven or eight pitchers in the Mets organization farm wise that all have talent and and kind of major league pitching abil- uh, ability, but we're probably all talking SP3 to SP6 for everyone. So uh, can I, can we have a higher ceiling? I mean, hey, why not? I, I mean, I wouldn't have known DeGrom would be an ace. I mean, I everyone kind of has an opinion. My opinions would be that every one of them can have a ceiling of at least a, a third, you know, mid-rotation guy. So for Vassal, uh, also what's funny is like a, I was talking to a scout last year in the Mets organization and when they were thinking about Christian Scott and they were kind of hoping, Hey, a healthy Christian Scott is going to be absolutely dominant. And I kind of like him as a McGill type guy. And it was almost like, Oh no, I should, I should never c- compare him to McGill. Cause God forbid you do that online. Mets Twitter will be like, he's trash. He sucks. But it's not really necessarily about what the box scores have shown this week in a, in a pitcher. So if it's like kind of like that with Christian Scott and McGill, kind of the, a, a, another version of a hard-nosed kind of gamer type of guy. So I think Vassal could be one of those guys, but again, maybe like above a Dylan G type guy. Yeah, a guy who can throw upper 90s and he wants to be more consistent because yeah, Vassal has had some really huge, awesome command games on and on and on. And it seems like Vassal's my Vientos kind of guy where every time Vassal jumps a level, he goes through an adjustment period facing higher level kind of bats. And he was doing that even from Arizona fall league when he participated before the last season, when you start facing guys who are more advanced, taking more pitches, now you got to adjust, adjust, adjust. And I know Vassal had an up and down season box score wise, but he also took a no hitter into the ninth in AAA, facing multiple bats who went on to get promoted. So that's the talent. Yeah, absolutely. Ernie Dove here. Talking a little Mets prospects as we head into spring training just a couple of weeks away. We're staring down NFL championship weekend. And even though it feels like the hot stove hasn't even gotten off the mat, it's coming to an end, at least from a calendar perspective. The bullpen, you know, that's going to be, that's the thing that's polarizing on talk radio, online. And look, I would have loved for the Mets to go out and spend $20 million to garner both Robertson and Chapman. I thought, you know, leading up to Diaz. They didn't do that. Stearns has been pretty uh, deliberate, and he shows without saying it that he doesn't want to go out and spend big money on bullpen arms unless it's maybe a difference maker or deadline or something like that. And even then, he wants to build with value. Adam Adovino signs about 24 hours ago. Uh, That's the kind of pitcher at this point I think the Mets are going to sign. When you start to look at guys like Adovino versus a Nariz versus a Stanek, you know, other than the fact that those other guys are different because they haven't pitched here, is very marginal difference with a lot of these relievers. And like I said earlier, one of the biggest successes I thought of the Dodgers, the Yankees, specifically the Astros, is they don't have to go out. And I know the Astros just signed Josh Hader, but historically they haven't had to gone out and spend big money on a closer, at least at the start of the season, because they have people they develop. And the Mets haven't done – I mean, we talked about player development earlier – even if you're the worst in the league in player development, give me a reliever. Give me a middle innings reliever. Give me a number six, a sixth inning, no seventh. They haven't even done that really well. You know, Drew Smith maybe, okay. But um, do you have a couple of guys you told me offline you're excited about. I don't believe either right now is on the 40 band. So it'll be interesting how they play into this. Uh, but what are your thoughts on the bullpen? Are you upset that the Mets are not going out and uh, and signing a Hector Neres or a Phil Matan or uh, 
uh, you know, or obviously a Ryan Stanek who might be uh, Ryan Stanek who might not be in their budget of, you know, four or five million dollars. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I've been wanting multiple relievers, so I can't deny that. Uh, is Adovino, he's been good for the Mets. But again, it, Mets Twitter, they, they get angry about a lot of things. So you got like the, the Frank the Tank syndrome when you watch a game and he blows the lead and he sucks for three months straight, even when he's throwing zeros after that game. It, it's kind of like, I don't know what you want from like kind of a sixth to seventh-ish uh, reliever. It depends on where these guys are. But, yeah, my concern is, again, who's the eighth inning guy? Like, who's the setup guy for Diaz? Who's the setup guy? Rayleigh? Adovino, Rayleigh take turns? Does that make everyone excited? But the the pen, either way, the pen is whatever the pen's going to be every year. Like, we're I, every year that's like, we need to sign this guy. It's ridiculous. His FIP is amazing. And then, like, the year happens, the guy sucks. No one talks about it. Because you you always want to hype it in the offseason. And then guys are going to do what they do in the pen. So the question is, do the Mets have enough? They have depth. I mean, it's exciting saying the word depth. I mean, I prefer they call up prospects rather than, you know, waiver wire guys all the time and indie ball guys. So they do have more depth again, but they were having more depth for the last year or two. But with enough injuries, it doesn't matter what your depth is. The Mets know that. So uh, you, uh, Paul Gervasi and Nate Lavender are two names. You know, there's some names like, uh, you know, we saw a little bit of Josh Walker. He looked good at times. He's on the 40-man. Um, you know, I won't even get into the scrap heap guys because who the hell knows. I mean, they're going to have to drop someone from the 40-man to put Adovino on. I'm curious if that'll be a pitcher. You know, maybe they trade Navarez. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Narvaez, I should Navarez. Narvaez. Um uh, you know, I don't know if they're looking to maybe dump Zach Short off the the forty man. Be interested to see where they go. Um, Grant Hartwig is on the forty man. Uh, you know, these are all names. I mean, are you do you feel you know? Look, they're not elite, but do you right. feel these are names that you know to get outs in the sixth or seventh inning? Because right now your high leverage outs are going to be Rayleigh, Adovino, Diaz. Uh, talking about sixth and seventh inning along with Drew Smith, do you feel good about some of those names, including the guys that are on the forty man roster? <laughs> wow. Do I feel good? That's a tough question. Uh, it, it, they you have, feel like they, they could, have. that, you know, maybe don't feel good, but do you feel like there's something there? It's not a, a hope and a prayer. I mean, it, again, it depends going to be year to year, but uh, Drew Smith has had some good times. Uh, Drew Smith has gotten some outs. Adovino's gotten some outs. Rayleigh's been pretty good, you know, overall. I, it seems like the kind of team where it's like, yeah, is this going to be a 95 win team? I, you want to project? No, unless some of the bats just go absolutely insane. Like maybe if like Lindor, Alonzo and Alvarez all are in the top 10 in MVP voting, maybe the Mets win 90 games. But uh, with this kind of pitching, I, you have to kind of assume that, yeah, the 40 man is going to be changing a lot still through the winter and into the year. I don't want to name names. It's never my style, but it looks like there is room uh, for guys like Adovino and maybe at least one more arm. And then it's going to really probably come down to the guys we've never heard of. See what the pitching lab does to those guys. They've signed some of these veterans. I'm not super excited about them. I mean, I know of some upper minors arms. I like Nate Lavender and Paul Gervais. They've had really good camps uh, for a couple of weeks. I know it could be like, what are you saying? Uh, He looks great. I, they do look good in camp. Uh, they 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 have pretty filthy stuff. But Lavender and Gervais, they it's the command, which is, I guess, all pitchers. Yep. Will they have enough command to reach the major leagues? Well, that's kind of the reason why. What do they always say? One percent, two percent. I mean, however, the percentages of guys who make it to the majors, on their level, these two guys are both major league arms of talent. But will they get there and be able to like have command and get outs at the major league level? with their pitches. I, that's obviously to be determined, but those are two high quality triple a arms that are non rostered yet. But you know how that goes. Like a Steven Nagosik, they can have these guys and bounce them up and down. And unfortunately even do the DFA route, try to keep them and then do it again and recycle. Uh, they do have a lot of arms of that ish quality that I would still be pretty excited about to have the options. But I, yeah, this is probably a team in the eighties based on all the names we're giving out right now. 
And let's not forget about the offense because I found it interesting. There was some steamer projections for Mark Vientos. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, he's a bit of a polarizing name, too, because everybody wanted him last year. Came up, hit that big home run against Tampa in his first game back. uh, Has had tremendous power and good numbers throughout his minor league career. Has never garnered much excitement, I've felt, from either the prospect experts or even it seemed like the Mets organization was always arm's length with him. Now I'm looking at some of his projections and look, they're projections, you know, they're, that's all they are. And he's right there in terms of run creation and uh, slugging with uh, free agents such as JD Martinez and Justin Turner and, and, and maybe a tick below Jorge Soler. And you wonder, you know, at some point Jorge Soler was a below league average bouncing around the league, disappointing prospect for the Cubs. Justin Turner. I love, uh, but he's in decline. You know, he's a good run producer, but he's almost 40 years old. Yeah. And at some point, and it sounds like the Mets are going Mets fans are going to get this. They want to see what they have in Vientos. That's what Martino seems to be indicating. At the very least, you're going to start the year, maybe till Memorial Day with this kid getting an opportunity. Maybe not that long. If he's hitting a buck 50 on May 1st, who knows? But yeah. uh, Vientos is an interesting name because he never gets love, has in some ways, better numbers than Beatty in the minors. Uh, doesn't have a position, but hey, he's a DH, just like J.D. Martinez, just like Soler, and maybe he could play a little first and third uh, in a pinch. Thoughts on that going with Vientos as the DH, at least for the first third of the season? I mean, I'd still be okay with Mark Vientos. I know me kind of thinking about the prospects year to year, the way I was ranking them, I had them ranking differently year to year based on what's happening. I have to be honest, even with myself trying to do this. I used to have the pecking order of like maybe uh, Beatty, Mauricio, Vientos. That was my one, two, three of sorts. Uh, going into winter, this winter, right before the injury, I finally like convinced myself that I'm pro Mauricio over Beatty at third base. And now we've had that taken from us. So the thing about Vientos, like I said, you know, a little bit earlier, I, like with Vassal and even with Alvarez, every time they got to a new level, Viento struggled. Uh, a lot high, high K rate, hitting a buck fifty, high K rate, every level from low A to high A, high A to double A, double A to triple A. It it was just kind of something that happened. Now, is it natural progression? I don't know, but Vientos eventually started hitting over three hundred at a certain point at every single level once he adjusted. So. Now, as far as there's issues with foot speed, there's issues with the glove, there's issues with maybe bat speed. I think a lot of people are worried, how is Vientos going to be hitting 97 to 100? But I know Vientos, he kind of has natural power opposite field anyway. So I'm not saying he's just going to always hit anyway, like it's softball, just aim to right field. But he has the talent. I I don't know if he's going to hit 300 in a major league season playing every day, but we might be really surprised how good Mark Vientos is if you just sat him there, hand wrote his name in pen at the DH and just let him go five days out of a week. Yep. And you got DJ Stewart who could hop in there against right-handed pitching. If there's a tough righty that you don't want him to play against and what have you. When you look at the uh, minors, a lot of people, myself included, are looking at Drew Gilbert and Luis Acuna, uh, Luis Angel Acuna. Uh, as two that will potentially be in this lineup and impact this team at some point in 2024. I think Gilbert will depend on a couple of things, how quickly and how elite he shows to be in AAA Uh and what's going to happen. Are they going to tolerate Bader as an everyday more defense and glove and center? What's Marte's body look like? over the long term, because I don't think they're going to bring Gilbert up unless he's going to play 100% every day. I could see Bader moving into a fourth outfielder role for a bit. Uh, you know, Marte's a little bit more of a, a variable. He's not a backup. He might be shot going Cano at that point if you're Man. you're not playing him every day. And then uh, is interesting because I think he's more of a component player, the way I look at him, with speed and bringing a different dynamic to the offense. He has some versatility. It looks like second base is his best position. And you got McNeil there, and assuming McNeil bounces back, and you know he, finding a position for him is a little bit harder uh, yeah. if he doesn't play the outfield. So those two guys naturally are who you think is going to be the offensive reinforcements, a la Beatty, a la Alvarez, a la Vientos, were supposed to be this past year. And then are we sleeping on some other offensive names that could contribute? What are your thoughts on those two things? 
I mean, those are pretty much the top guys. And I know some of the concerns is like, well, people that started only following Acuna when he got to the Mets, eyes ah, he sucks. He's got like a Luis Guillorme bat with no power. But he, he had like an OPS with lots of doubles in the Rangers AA affiliate. So I, I, he changed leagues. He changed like same level but different leagues. He came over. He kind of looked different here and there. But like you said, with that kind of speed, I liked his instincts as a middle infielder. So he's one of those probably like quote unquote high IQ guys. I like that about Acuna then. I, so I like some of the decision making he was making on the fly, watching some games uh, on the uh, on some of the streaming uh, and the Gilbert. But again, Acuna is, is already on the 40 man. So that's kind of one of those things. Who do you call up at certain injuries, certain this? Do you call him up to just basically be like Jankowski and just run I mean, it could be an option for Acuna simply because he's on the he's on the forty man anyway. Gilbert is getting a lot more love, but his thing is he's been good in both you know both leagues coming from the other organizations to the Mets. So he's going to have a thing where he might need a, a roster spot pretty quickly in Gilbert. But it's hard to say other bats. I mean, I used to be a real I became a huge fan of Matt Rudick, but I know he got hurt last year. So I, I don't even know his status at this point. Certain certain guys to come out of nowhere, but it has to be about the top guys. And I know it's like call up Jet Williams. He's like he just turned twenty years old. Not Give everyone can be. Not everyone. Right. Not everybody's David Wright. And look I, by <laughs> by by July, I feel we'll know how close Jet Williams is. I mean, I don't think it's going to be if Jet Williams is who we think he is. He's uh-huh. going to be, and and it's going to create a good problem where, okay, what do you do? I mean, ultimately, I've talked about this. I think McNeil in right field is a, is an option for the future, assuming Marte declines out of the roster. Yeah. Uh, I thought he played a really good right field late last year, and I'm not ready to dump a bat like McNeil. Now, if McNeil doesn't hit, vintage McNeil, then it's, well, do we want to move on? That's fair as these guys push their way in. Jet Williams is interesting because another guy similar to Kuna, where do you play him? You got different positions. You know, I don't really know if I have a feel of, again, a good problem, what his best position is. And one name you haven't mentioned who is on the 40-man, who used to be a highly regarded prospect, and has gone the Estevan Floreal route a la the Yankees, is Alex Ramirez. No talk about him. But he's on the 40-man roster. Yeah. And, I, you know, he's – Alex Ramirez is one of those guys, because he's been around forever, but he's a, he was a 16-year-old pro, he's still kind of young at this point, like, what, 20, 21 – He's basically the age of guys that are going to get drafted this year, and that's the age Alex Ramirez is. When he struggled last year, I had one of the scouts tell me, I'm not going to say I'm not worried, but the talent is completely there. So he just has to go through his motions. Does it mean he's going to take that next step? I mean, I hope so, but he was the top outfield prospect for many reasons. He was my version of – he was that next wave of the Rosario and, and Jimenez that I was excited about. I was like, this, he's going to be a dude. I liked him. He's got the chains. He's had those gold chains for a few years. Like, he's got that swag about him like a Mauricio. Uh, he was going to have an impact that I was thinking. So I was honestly disappointed in his year. But I was also told about him and even really younger guys down in low in the lower levels, we, you got to take other things into account. So I'm not ready to give up on Alex Ramirez yet. But, yeah, is he going to, like, hit 300 and – have that next phase of his life just kick in in 2024, I I can't even guarantee that's going to happen on any level. Yeah, absolutely. So as we wrap up here, Ernie, what can we expect from you in the coming weeks? Obviously, you are uh, you covered the St. Lucie Mets. Are you going to be down in spring training? We know you're going to be following prospects and doing the, the good reporting, talking to people in the organization, giving the love to these prospects that often don't get a pipeline to mainstream media, uh, trying to uh, – get rid of the disinformation or the lack of or the ignorance quite honestly and some of it's not intentional of how things work when it comes to player development what's next for Ernest Dove as we head into the 2024 season it's right here in front of us I mean the plan is to go all out this is my year uh I'm gonna like ride or die uh with my own self just is this it if you ride if you die we won't see you anymore is that the end of Ernest Dove at the end Uh, of this year hey I think I have to go that dramatic route. Like this is the year that I have to try to make some things happen. Uh, but I'm already excited about some of the interviews I've been doing. 
I do kind of have one lined up again, which could be as soon as next week. So I might hopefully, you know, knock on wood. I have plans to interview another Mets minor leaguer who's currently in this camp right now. I'm going to talk to him, uh, of course, about the pitching lab and everything else. I mean, I'll just save the names for when I cannot jinx it. Uh, I'm going to keep providing some content on my YouTube page. I want to keep providing, again, these interviews on sportswireradio.org. And also, I'm trying to contribute now and then to maxmets.blogspot.com. I'm going to try to provide all kinds of content throughout the year. You know, Dove got sauces. I mean, I got some amazing sources again this year. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's what I need because I love a Dove bomb, just like a Woj bomb, a Dove bomb. I'm going to try. I, I sometimes hopefully you know, it's you... good. A dove bomb, a good dove <laughs> bomb is Drew Gilbert's getting called up. A bad dove bomb is Mike Vazel's out for the season. Knock on wood. We don't want to wish Mike Vazel any kind of bad news, but you know, you know what I'm talking about there. Yeah, I'm gonna try, but you know how it goes. Like the the higher the source gets, the the least probability I'm allowed to say what they even say. So sure. I'm sure. gonna I'm gonna continue to go with my middle ground. But again, be on the lookout for all the information I can provide. I'm actually going to pop up another video in the next few days about a a really, really young teenage bat in the Mets organization that was kind of wowing people in camp. So I'll pretend that I'm like kind of throwing it out there. I'm going to make a video about this kid who apparently just looks jacked and he's hitting lasers. So I'm going to kind of make a video hyping him up about the camp that he just had this week. Uh, and that's some of the stuff I'm going to try to do regularly now as often as I can to provide all the information from all the way down Dominican, all the way to AAA. Because Dove got sauces even in the Dominican. So I, I'm going to try to provide updates. I've been joking about guys like Jeffrey Rosa calling him Barry Bonds because of the homers he had last year. This is all the way down from the DR all the way to AAA. I'm going to try to provide every piece of intel I could get. You brought up the DR. Any concerns with this age thing? We I mean, look. We've known this has been going on for uh, uh, since the beginning of time. There was always questions whether Wilmer Flores was actually the age he was. People used to question everything. Albert Pujols, whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, a little bit of a nibble. I was going to let you go, but any you know, quick thing. Any thoughts on that? Any insight into the whole uh, situation? I mean, the only real thing is this allegedly may or may not have been happening for like a generation. Like you said, I mean, this is kind of something that's always been going on. You worry it uh, becomes a Mets thing because the Mets get pinched and all of a sudden the Mets well, have a problem, you know? That's the thing. But you know what? The Mets get pinched because Mets Twitter is all over it. But multiple teams all around Major League Baseball are all having this current situation. Other organizations have multiple players. Now, I don't even know the names. I'm not even going to name them because, again, it's being probably implied or assumed because mm-hmm. there was a class of guys, of kids, and certain ones haven't been signed. Now, from my standpoint, I don't know direct names. I do know that there may be one top player that everyone says implied is the one the Mets are no longer signing now. Uh, but I, my also understanding from sources is that the Mets don't have any current imminent plans as of last week to sign anybody new. Because, again, the window lasts throughout the year. The thing is, obviously, everyone tries to sign everyone on this glorious day in January, but the signing period continues now through the year. So the Mets, whatever money they still have, they can still sign these kids at some point. But my understanding, as of like a few days ago, they weren't imminently signing someone. So there's no extra kid from a list that hasn't been signed that's going to sign. So I, they're, obviously it's an issue, but the Mets are not the only team facing this. And I think some of the things I've heard through the grapevine, there's other organizations, including <coughs> Yankees, who may be losing some even bigger kid talent with higher bonuses they were going to give out. So it's going to be hitting everyone. It's just a matter of who's going to start publicly giving out names and what their bonus might have been, because there's some high-end kids that may or may not be signing now at this point like they thought they were. Well, Ernie, this has been a, an, an enlightened segment. I think we're going to see a lot of the names that you talked about throughout the year. I think the Mets are going to surprise people. If you can't be positive in the spring, why not? But I really believe the Mets, uh, as hard as this is, as annoying as this is when you have the owner that you have, needed to do the tough thing and really give their young players a shot. I think Vientos is kind of the poster child for that. I said that in the open. Like, this is what we're not comfortable with. But Ernie Dove is comfortable with it. So you have a great Sunday. 
uh, be well. I hope you ride and you don't die because then I don't know who I'm going to go to. Uh, you know, I might have to like, you know, pull you off the mat and say, give it one more year. Like, you know, like that aging picture, give it one more year, but we'll catch up throughout the, uh, the, uh, the season. And I appreciate your time today. Yeah, I'll do that meme. I got one more in me with the one NBA. One more in me. I'll drag <laughs> you. I'll drag you kicking and screaming. All right, Ernie. Enjoy your Sunday. Be well, my friend. All right. Thank you. That's Ernest Dove. A uh, couple of things with Ernie. Uh, at you know, at Ernest Dove on YouTube. He talked about his YouTube uh, page. You could get. You heard the clip with Mike Vazel at the beginning. Great stuff. Uh, obviously on Twitter at Ernest Dove on Twitter. Sports Wires Radio. Let me make sure I get that real quick there. Sports Wires, Ernest Dove. You know, I have all these windows up on my uh, sports. Yeah, at Ernest Dove, sportswireradio.org. That's where you can get some of his radio, the YouTube page. If you go to X, you know, we go back and forth. X, Twitter, you know, Elon Musk had to create all this chaos. X, Twitter, X, Twitter, uh, at Ernest Dove on X. So that's it. Hope you guys enjoyed this early edition of the Talking Mets podcast. Enjoy championship weekend if you're watching football. I know the Super Bowl's coming up in a couple of weeks. What's next for us? Well, we're definitely going to have shows every week. I've contemplated the whole taking off of the Super Bowl like we do as that leads into pitchers and catchers. Obviously, you have Beyond the Mic. Keep going there. I say this every week. If you're not a subscriber, again, for the price of one cup of coffee, and maybe less if you sign up for a year, uh, the the interaction, the content, the ways that I could kind of come to you in between shows are limitless. Uh, we did a piece on another trash or treasure. We look at all these signings. I like to kind of break down these signings and then how viable they are to help the roster. Broke down my Hall of Fame ballot. Hope you enjoyed, as I said earlier, the Hall of Fame show. And, you know, obviously, uh, you know, got into the relief market and we were kind of a little ahead of our time. I thought they'd sign Adam Adovino. I thought that's the the bin that they'd be shopping. And sure enough, beyond the mic, talking about beyond the mic, called it just hours before the uh, Adam Adovino signing was uh, announced. So anyway, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to this latest edition of the Talking Mets podcast. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. You can get me on X at TalkingMetsNoG. And you get the show on your favorite podcasting service, Spotify, Apple, whatever you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com, no G. Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com, and sign up for the newsletter, Substack.com, slash at TalkingMetsNoG. Get it on my X profile. And, of course, I want to thank the good folks from the Fan Sided Podcast Network for hosting the show. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. We'll be back with another Talking Mets Podcast next week. Till then, take care, everybody. for the pot.